your death sentence for this week. Uh, we've got on the line Tom Wyman. Hi. Know, there he is. You know him from uh, Twitter. He's at Health Unto Death. Uh, I still don't know what that's a reference to, and you're going to tell me right now, and I'm going to feel stupid because it'll be like Shakespeare or the Bible or something really obvious. That's it. It's even better than Shakespeare or the Bible. It's uh, Minimum Moralia. It's uh, one oh, of the cool. aphorisms. Oh, my favorite book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, it's one of the okay. aphorisms, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Great, yeah. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I yeah, told you I'd, I'd be stupid about it. But um, okay. Is it actually but, one of your favorite books? Very much so, yeah. I okay. got the, uh, the Verso book yeah. ages ago, read it and loved it, and yeah, I've apparently just edited out the bits that um, <laughs> could have explained the thing that's kind of a little like sub-itch at the back of my brain for yeah. for a little while now. But uh, yeah, so, but people out there, t- look up, read Minimum Morality, it's really good. Yes. Um, but first, let's do a little bit of news. Uh, so what's been happening in the world is that uh, James A. Fields, the guy who uh, killed Heather Heyer in uh, Charlottesville, has been sentenced and probably um, has been convicted of her murder and 35 other crimes, um, all related to him being a moist neo-Nazi. And he's going to be sentenced by the time uh, you listen to this. And he may be sentenced to death. Um, I'm not a huge fan of you know the carceral state or anything, but you know, it's, uh, broken clock is right twice a day, and this is happens to be one of those times. Uh, but in bad news, uh, there's no porn on Tumblr anymore. There's still Nazis, but no porn. And in a kind of like really crap Venn diagram of both the things I just was speaking about. Um, if you've been anywhere near the discourse lately, you'll know that uh, a girl named uh, Centoya Brown has been sentenced to 51 years in jail for killing the man who bought her as a sex slave. Uh, if James, a- I, I guarantee you, by the time you're listening to this, that the whole of whatever social media platform you're on will be ablaze because James A. Fields will have gotten less than 51 years in jail for you know, running down complete strangers in a car. But uh, yeah, so those things happen. But slightly better news, there's the, uh, I'm going to tr- mispronounce this, uh, Gillette Junes, didn't pronounce, nowhere near to how that's pronounced in France, fucking shit up, uh, go them. And uh, earlier today, which is Sunday the 9th, there was anti-fascist protests in London against Tommy Robinson. Uh, I know like 86% of my audience is American, so don't bother looking up Tommy Robinson. He'll just upset you. He's really the worst. So that's the news. And it's utterly unrelated to literature because all uh, book production stops in December. Not a lot of people know that. It's, It's true, though. There are no books coming out this month. But there was at the very tip of last month, a book called K-Punk, which came out on Repeater Books. Uh, K-Punk is the collected blog uh, posts of Mark Fisher, one of, yeah, I don't, don't want to like, uh, do a whole hagiography of him here, but he was a very, very significant theorist. Um, 
I think underappreciated in his time. He died in, I believe, is two thousand, kind of late two thousand seventeen. Sorry, uh, uh, January. Yeah, yeah, January sixteenth, uh, two thousand seventeen. And um, since his death, and kind of a little before, he's been kind of held up as a a major figure in in the left, in the grand left discourse. And um, so we've got one of his admirers, fans. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Interpreters, maybe even. Stands. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tom Wyman hey. of Twitter. And he put out a an article in Vice magazine, or vice.com rather, uh, a few days ago, December 5th, called How to Stop the Future Being Cancelled. A posthumous collection of Mark Fisher's unpublished writing shows that the author of capitalist realism is more important than ever. Um, so people listen to this, if possible, just hit pause right now, go, go away and read it. It's not a long article at all, very easy to read. Just bring yourself up to speed, because um, it's that or you read the 800 pages of K-Punk, which I also recommend, but you don't have to do that now. <laughs> Time They're better than my review, but yeah. Well, that's a, well, you know, when is a review ever better than the, the thing it's reviewing? Unless the thing it's reviewing is bad. Yeah, so there are some reviews of bad works which are better than the thing they're, they're reviewing. But yes, it, it, yeah, exactly. if, it's, like, if it's something good, it doesn't really happen. Like my episode on uh, Tao Lin's latest book was far better than that piece of crap. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I, I, mean, I think the, the uh, one example of a, book, a review which is not critical like it's not like damning of its um subject matter but is better than um the book itself is kierkegaard's um two ages a literary review um which is ostensibly a review of a, a then popular danish book which um then gives uh an incredible incredibly rich theory of revolution um which uh so that's that's only really posing as a review though it's not actually a review so, for people who don't know, who was Mark Fisher, and why are his ideas still relevant? Um, yeah, so Mark Fisher was a philosopher and cultural theorist, uh, probably best known for his uh, book Capitalist Realism, uh, which was from uh, the late 2010s, just released in uh, after the um, financial crash. Uh, we'll talk more about what capitalism, capitalist realism is um, in a second, I think. Um, but what is, I think, just to get an idea of what's important and distinctive about Fisher. Um, so Fisher, especially in the context of his K-Punk book, is often described as a music critic or a music writer. Um, and what he tends to do is he approaches sort of grand issues almost in um, political and cultural theory um, through uh, popular culture. Like, for instance, in um, Capitalist Realism, it starts out with this discussion of the film Children of Men. Um, and, you know, so he uses that to introduce um, the, the sort of the con this concept of capitalist realism. Um, now, obviously, obviously, when you approach philosophy through popular culture uh what you end up doing could you know seem very trite but actually 
Fisher's way of looking at theory, again, as I say, through popular culture, doesn't just serve to make it more accessible, although I think it does. It also helps draw out what's most at stake in this often, you know, let's face it, very overwrought and pretentious um, uh, way of talking about the issues that most uh, urgently affect us uh, as a society. Um, So, and I think when we see that, we can see like, I mean, what's important here often to bear in mind, I think is Fisher's sort of origin story. So he did a PhD at the University of Warwick, uh, where full disclosure, I used to teach um, in uh, the late 90s, uh, a long, long time before I was there. Um, And uh, he was associated with this sort of heterodox tendency in the philosophy department um, called the Cybernetic Cultural Research Union, CCRU, um, which was headed by Nick Land, who's uh, since become uh, very notorious for other reasons, but was notorious in the late 90s for basically behaving exactly as an academic shouldn't behave. Um, you know, he he wrote in this very unscholarly way, which is meant to be, you know, hip to uh, cyberpunk and jungle music and things like this. Um, instead of hosting conferences, you know, the, the CCRU hosted sort of raves in this space they had um, above the Superdrug and Leamington Spa. Um, and, uh, you know, so, and, and, and this is in the context just to, I mean, to be sort of clear about this, of an academic department that was for the most part inhabited by people whose approach to um, to social and political theory, to philosophy, it, it, it's very scholarly, right? You know, these are people who will be able to quote you chapter and verse of all the secondary literature on Hegel and things like this. Um, mm-hmm. And this tendency embodied by the CCIU really stood directly opposed to that. Um, and... Fisher continued to be influenced influenced by that throughout uh, his authorship. Obviously, when he finished his PhD, as you might imagine, he found it difficult to get academic work. He fell into a sort of fairly extended, depressive sort of slump. Um, he re-emerged after sort of just going off the radar for um, half a decade uh, with this blog, K-Punk, which was focused really initially on uh, music mostly, still often described as a music writer. Um, and um, through that, he sort of gradually, uh, suppose, sketched out um, what I think we can look back on now, especially with the release of the K-Punk book, is a pretty, um, something close to a systematic understanding of um, 21st century capitalism, albeit um, typically grasped fragmentally often through things like music reviews right i mean actually i should say the other side of this approaching um uh, uh theory through popular culture i mean fisher is also very very perceptive about popular culture right um well, he, is, know, yeah, he is brilliant yeah. he could just do reviews and he would still be an excellent excellent writer yeah and uh yeah he's um his stuff on post-punk um which being a you know working class guy from minor town and uh yeah kind of is something that speaks to him and he talks about i think really simon reynolds in the introduction talks about how punk music and post-punk was a really good window for like working class people to uh, pick up on little influences like you'd have 
full songs with uh, references to politics and philosophy you wouldn't have heard of, mm-hmm. or you look up what a what a Giruti column is. <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually important, really important in terms of understanding Fisher and 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 um, well, the way he looks at obviously his understanding of politics as well as his understanding of culture. Um, he's very um, you know, he, he obviously he comes from came from a working class background of the East Midlands, and he's very um, uh, aware of the fact that he was only able to do what he did because he was exposed at an early age to a lot of sort of high culture, ultimately, well, and theory through part popular culture, but also just through what he calls the institutions of popular modernism. So things like the fact that Channel Four would show sort of um, art house. Foreign and foreign films that late at night, for example, mm. was a way mm. in which these things were ex- accessible to um, working class youth, uh, which he thinks he tends to think is no longer at all the case. Um, mm. you know. Yeah, not a big TV watcher, but I would definitely agree with him on that one. It's that kind of um, uh, the kind of um, almost patrician side of the BBC and Channel mm. Four has has f- faded away. He talks about this pretty well in, in the book, how yeah. that it was considered elitist to assume that working people could understand or would be interested in anything beyond mm-hmm. like Big Brother or Benefit Street or um, yeah. things things of that nature. And um, yeah, he's not a fan of that, that idea at all. Uh, neither am I. But um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I being mean... one of these working class people who picked up on um, everything through tracking down references i heard in like interviews in kerrang magazine or whatever but uh yeah so that brings us to k-punk now he uh mark fisher passed away in 2017 and this is his i think is it all of his uh blog posts on k-punk or is it a selection of them i think it's it's all isn't it i i I, if i had to guess i'd say it was all um it's a massive book uh, 800 pages. To, yeah, it includes some unpublished pieces as well. So, yeah, I'd say it was. I don't know. I mean, I need to. I need to reread the editor's introduction. But um, yeah, it's there's definitely a lot of material in this. Oh, actually, it definitely it doesn't include blog posts which have already been included in other things like Ghosts of My Life. So Ghosts of My Life and The Weird and Vieri Fisher's second two books were both collections of um of essays, and lots of them were originally published on K Punk. Mm-hmm. So. You speak a little bit about in the uh, the article for Vice on his three main theories. Uh, I know mm-hmm. it's a hell of a lot of uh, stuff to get through, yeah. but um, I think his I think capitalist realism is his biggest theory that's probably spread into the world the most and has had the most impact. Mm-hmm. At least I feel so. Um, and hauntology wasn't technically his theory; it was more Derrida's, but he repopulized it um so just what's the like elevator pitch for the idea of capitalist realism yeah so it's it's the delusional ideological belief that there's no alternative to the capitalist economic system basically um and well the word can be applied a bit more, the term sorry can be applied a little bit more broadly than that which it's, which can lead to some sort of fuzziness of of, of, of defining it but that's what that's what's at its core um it's this idea that um you know we can't imagine um 
a world beyond capitalism. Basically, I mean, yeah. as he cites Zizek in 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 the early pages of capitalist realism, saying, uh, I think it's Zizek, as uh, saying, um, or Frederick Jameson. No, no, it's might like, be Frederick never, Jameson. Never might found out Zizek. who that was, but I've, yeah. I've said this, I've quoted it about a thousand times, but I never yeah. found out who it was really. Saying it's easier to imagine the end of the world and the end of capitalism, anyway. Hmm. Um, yeah, and actually, I mean, he does this a lot. I mean, you said ontology was Derrida's idea and that sort of stuff. Um, you know. He, the slogan of Ghosts of My Life, which, sorry, we're skipping ahead, is is for, um, you know, the future is being slowly cancelled, which is a term I totally associate with Fisher, but actually wasn't him. It was Franco Biffo Berardi. You know, Fisher's mm. great at citing people in a way that draws out, again, what, so what is most at, at, at stake in their work. Mm, uh, yeah. And definitely in, in Zizek and uh, Jameson, the capitalist realist idea is hugely important. Yeah, yeah. And, but um, they don't they don't thematize it in the same way. No, but um, yeah, it and so capitalist realism it has, like you say, it gets fuzzy around the margins. But its core is that it's very difficult for us to imagine a, a post-capitalist or even like a non-capitalist space alongside capitalism. Yeah, um, yeah, and it leads to things like believing yourself to be. Um, in competition with everyone around you for scarce resources, jobs, etc. Uh, thinking of your own personal psychology as entirely down to you and ultimately you should just work harder or do more yoga or self-affirmations and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very good critic of the approaches people take to uh, mental health. Being mm-hmm. someone who's like had struggles with mental health all his life that you know, eventually killed him. So you're yeah. blunt about it. Um, he's very good at talking about that in in a way that um, God, what's his name? Uh, the the guy who plagiarized a bunch of stuff. Johan Hari. That's the guy. Yeah, yeah. his uh, most recent book, uh, which I'm sure was he was never a particularly terrible writer when he actually did his own writing, but um, his uh, most recent book, which I forget the title of, uh, was about like, the the. Uh, the capitalist realist assumptions in mental health and it's about more than just your brain chemistry being a bit messed up and you need to do more cbt mm-hmm. it's uh yeah so you probably want to go to mark fisher for those ideas rather than mr harry's um yes. kind of compromised uh look but um so hauntology that's um coming from derrida would seem to be a bit more of a difficult one to grasp but it's uh I think once you get the hang of it, it's kind of um, it kind of makes a lot of sense, and it kind of people can see it in their own lives. So, what would how would you sum up ontology? Um, well, uh, so the way it's it's um, it's 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 introduced in Derrida is you've got to understand. Obviously, you've got, you've got to pronounce it in a French accent because you've got to go ont- oh ontology. So <laughs> it's a it's a concept, right? So it's Oh, it's, a pun on, it's a pun on ontology. Now, ontology is a philosophical study of what exists. So ontolo- ont- ontology is the philosophical study of what doesn't exist, right? Um, yes. And or what exists, uh, or what exists kind of, as it were, in tension with what really exists. Um, mm. So so Marx, is, Marx and Engels' spectre that's haunting Europe, the spectre of communism, is, is a kind of, is ontological, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why it's ontological is because it it has an agency because it doesn't exist, right? Mm. So um, the the fact that 
communi- so communism is haunting Europe in at least two senses in obviously in 1848 um, and then it went on to haunt Europe and then obviously it still can haunt, haunt Europe in, in different ways it haunts the world in different ways um, in the, so anyway in, in, in the manifesto it haunts Europe because on the one hand you have the masses who's um, who can be inspired by um, the ideal of communism and then you also have um, the capitalist state which is haunted by the possibility of communists taking over stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And that mean, that does stuff, right? It really does stuff. Um, you know, because the, the fact that capitalists are trying to stop communism from existing and um, the working classes are or should be trying to make communism um, exist, you know, means that Mean, means that in fact these things could possibly exist or that other things could come into existence as a result and so on and so forth um so uh in so fisher appropriates for content the, the uh, concept of ontology um in particular to talk about the future and this future that we've lost i say as i've, I've mentioned this this idea of the future is being slowly cancelled so oh. what fisher means by this is that in like the 60s and the 70s uh People, you know, popular culture was full of images of a better future, right? Of whatever sort. Um, and in Fisher's view, these images, these, these images of, of, of sort of this, this possibility, or this, even this kind of, I mean, to a certain extent, the sort of the longing for a better future has almost gone away. This is a function of capitalist realism, right? You know, yeah. Capitalist realism has convinced people that any sort of changes to the neoliberal consensus might result in total disaster. So obviously, even, even now, even you, know, you can argue about, even in an age where we're being told that if we keep organizing the economy as we will, um, the, 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 the world will, the, the climate change shipping point will be reached in 12 years and, um, you know, large parts of the globe will become uninhabitable and biodiversity will, you know, sort of be decreased massively. Even now, when you talk about, you, you talk about that, people just go, yeah, but what about Venezuela, right? Oh. You know, <laughs> um, which obviously when you actually look at that in a geopolitical context, is to- a totally ludicrous thing to say about why mm. socialism is or is not viable, right? Yep. But, um, you know, because people would rather live in Venezuela than be dead. That's not well, a particularly that's, difficult. That's one thing, but also the reason why Venezuela has so many problems is not be, is not because of socialism. It's because of capitalism as exists outside of it as well. Right? Mm, yeah, um, the CIA but, messing things around. Yes, uh, I mean, I mean, you know, Cuba is probably a better example of what how how to do socialism to a good enough what extent without, um, you know. Anyway, um, the uh, the. So uh, you could look at, I mean, if you said look at Cuba, you could see, as even The Economist points out recently, uh, the bees still exist in, in Cuba, in, in, Cuba <laughs> in the same way, um, although The Economist think that's a reason to invest in Cuban honey and, uh, you know, um, exploit the bees. Uh, so anyway, but, um, so, but uh, what we're, so what we've, we've lost is the possibility of, of, a, of a better world beyond just the current uh, drudgery that we exist in. And... Um, that means, I mean, it has various resonances um, throughout our society. Obviously, it's related to the depression um, stuff. I mean, depression is it, part part of the, the, the sort of social um, uh, social problems associated with depression are just because people don't have can't imagine the world ever getting better or won't allow themselves to think of their own situation as getting better. That's why mm. Fisher thinks depression is such a symptomatic uh, mental illness, but also. He thinks it's got this, this loss of the future has resonances in popular culture. You know, jungle music, I think, is basically the last music he cites as being genuinely future oriented. Um, you know, it seems to summon up um, this 
this this future which doesn't yet yet exist uh, almost every innovation in popular music since van fisher claims has sort of just been the result of playing with old signifiers and old tropes so even the best new music becomes a matter of prestige um the strokes for example people yeah I mean, the Strokes is a good example of this. So that whole that whole kind of retro sort of sort of scene, yeah. Um, but the so then the question is, what can be done about this? And hauntology is a kind of is a way of seeing that allows you to to see um, to see our way to something better. So uh, in what we can do, rather than you know, so rather obviously we don't we can't we don't seem to be able to imagine a better future, right? But we can still long for the better futures that we used to think were possible, right? Now, they turned out not to be really, really possible as we thought they were, but we can long for them nevertheless. So the 60s and 70s, counterculture, the institutions of popular modernism, um, look forward to a future that is better than one we got, okay? Because what we got was factorism and, you know, um, the destruction of working-class communities and everything else that accompanied it. Um, what we can we can we can do is we can look back to, for example, the promise, the hope in the future that things like you know brutalist buildings, um, to cite your boyfriend's favourite example, or mm-hmm. um, you know uh, post punk music kind of sort of envisioned, and then so we can look back to, to to the future that they hoped would exist, and then think of ways in which we could move towards that future now, right? Um, and obviously. That's that, 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 that longing is also something for the future if it didn't happen is also something that Fisher sees as, um, uh, as, as reflected in popular music, even if it is, you know, prestige driven and not, uh, not, not properly innovative. He cites lots of, um, acts, uh, for instance, Bet burial is probably the most, most prominent one as, 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 as making hauntological music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I personally, so, my view on this, so in Ghost of My Life, it's often not clear what vision means by hauntology. It took me about two years to to to, to grasp it properly. Um, and uh, of like rereading that essay. And um, the thing that made it all click for me actually was reading Retromania by Simon Reynolds. So Simon Reynolds, mm. music critic, was... Um, a, a sort of friend and collaborator of, of Fisher's, and he also talks about ontology in this book, Retromania, and that made the whole Fisher's appropriation of the concept a lot clearer to me. In part because the examples of music for Fisher for Reynolds sites are sort of better, right? Mm-hmm. Fisher in Ghost of My Life talks about a lot of these sort of fairly obscure um, British um, sort of I don't even want to say like they're sort of just like electronic acts, but just. Mm. I, like, uh, IDM, like intelligent dance yeah. music. Yeah, and like aside from burial, they mostly just sound a bit sort of wistful to me. <laughs> but but, but uh, Reynolds talks about things like, um, uh, you know, like vaporwave and stuff like mm. this, right? Which uh, I think is, and and he t- he talks about that in a context where it becomes a lot clearer what's going on. So you know, vaporwave uh, mixes up sort of sounds from the eighties. Um, you know, 80s, not just 80s pop music, but 80s um, kind of Mal Muzak and things like this in a way which evokes a sort of feeling of this place where you could sort of, I don't know, get into the space where you could see the promise of what these things were again, right? Um, and, 
yeah, I, so, so that, that made it a bit clearer for me what he means. So if you're having trouble with it, read Simon Reynolds. Mm-hmm. And read Simon Reynolds because he's just generally good. Oh, yeah, stuff. so he's just generally and, good. Uh, yeah, he does the intro to, um, to this. Yeah. And, one of the um, intros, yes. No, one of several intros, yeah. It's an 800-page book. It can yeah. have more than one intro. Um, he was also on a, a podcast called Red Scare, uh, talking about uh, the, talking about K-Punk, and it, it might be worth checking out. But uh, that And that kind of brings us to... I, I think the weird in the area is kind of a, an easy one to explain. Weird is um, kind of the, the stuff that shouldn't be that just it, that is somehow there. It's like Lovecraftian stuff. Um, and the eerie is when something should be there, but, but isn't. So it's different between like walking into a shopping mall and there's a bunch of clowns there is weird. Walking into a shopping mall and there's no one there is eerie. So um, he, I, he's written a whole book on it. I'm sure there's a hell of a lot more to it. The, the, the but, eerie uh, stuff, the point about the eerie is that the eerie has an agency, right? But, hmm. So what's, what's not there is an agent that should be there. So... So something is happening and nothing seems to be making it happening happen. That's eerie, right? Yeah. So one of Fisher's examples of this is the port of Felixstowe. So towards the end of his life, he lived in uh, Felixstowe in Suffolk. And uh, so the port of Felixstowe, if you go to it and you see it, it's like it's almost totally automated. So you can't or at any rate, it's, it's operated by people remotely. So you don't see these massive ports on the edge of a town. You just don't see any people in it. That's eerie. Mm-hmm. Right, like yeah. these huge container ships being offloaded by by sort of nothing. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I think that's uh, that's a great example of it. Anyway, let's make the world slightly more ideal by playing some music. And um, I, so for the last couple of shows of the year, before I take a little Christmas break, I'm going to kind of circle around to stuff that I was listening to in 2018 that for some reason didn't make it onto the show. And there's a band called The Armed. They're out of I think New York, and they're um, they're kind of semi-relevant to Mark Fisher's work because they're kind of a, a punk collective rather than a um, a traditional four-piece bass, drums, and some guitars band. They're uh, they're kind of like the CCIU or um, a kind of like almost Andy Warhol's Factory, but for metalcore. They're um, based around a few core members like uh, Ben Collar, who's also in, uh, I think, Newtoid Man, and um, Kurt, I uh, can't pronounce his second name, ba- ba- Balu or Bayou from Converge is their producer for a lot of their stuff, and which gives them a hell of a pedigree. Um, oh, my mistake, they're actually from uh, Detroit. And um, they do really cool live shows where they'll set up an ornate mahogany table in the middle of a uh, what should be a mosh pit and sit there eating mussels and drinking champagne and then pass the mic to do like back and forth vocals they're, they're very yeah they're, they're not like another hardcore band out there and for some reason i slept on their new release um only love all year and only just got into it in the last couple of weeks and it's amazing and i so, i was so wrong I'm, I'm calling myself out here i'm putting myself into the vampire castle for not loving this album as much as I should. Uh, so this is the sixth song on there, Fortune's Daughter, and um, it's of Only Loved by The Arms. I don't know what record label it's on, but you really, really should check it out. Here it is.
So one of uh, Mark Fisher's essays that keeps coming up, um, particularly around the online left, particularly around podcasting for some reason, is X in the Vampire Castle, which is kind of helpfully included in K-Punk, because uh, it'd feel a little uh, incomplete without it, given how much it's cited. Uh, what is the Vampire Castle, and why does this essay keep coming up again and again? Um, yeah, well, I'll get on to what the Vampire Castle itself is in a second. The essay, the essay Exiting the Vampire Castle, is... On one level, you could see it as an essay about Russell Brand, because about two-thirds of it are about, about Russell Brand. Um, now, if you don't remember Russell Brand, Russell Brand is... Well, I know you will remember Russell Brand. But, you know, he's so a comedian, film actor. Um, he wrote the book Russell Brand's Revolution. Um, so someone who's, who's on the left, um, whose um, interventions, you know, in like 2015, I still see before 2015. Yeah, in kind of like the in the sort of Miller band years, seemed a bit radical because no one was saying genuinely laughing things ever. Um, and uh, Fisher's um, Fisher is um, concerned that people think you know dismissing Russell Brand as a misogynist, right? Um, despite the fact that he has left in politics, and this is, this is uh, uh, some, something to do with the fact that Brand is from a working-class background, although, of course, given that he is, at this point, um, a millionaire, feels a bit trite um, to me. Uh, you know, it's a bit... It's, it, you, you risk being in kind of Alan Sugar territory when you start, start using everyone's background as an absolute determinant of class, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, but... Uh, this... That discussion of brand precipitates this sort of more general condemnation of a tendency on the left that Fisher um, includes under this sort of heading of the vampire castle, which um, so there is an alleged um, puritanical streak to the left where I'll just sort of um, condemn. If you use problematic language in one context, you'll be condemned by someone and damned forever, basically, and no one can ever engage with you again because... Um, you're too problematic to be associated with. And uh, Fisher thinks that there's a sort of culture of fear around this. Um, and that it's, um, this is something that's been driven by people from sort of lower middle class backgrounds, mostly. Um, and that's, and, and uh, um, it's uh, as opposed to working class backgrounds. And um, this is undermining um, the emancipatory goals of the left. It's just making um, the left about, uh, you know, the protection of particular identity categories which have been inherited. Like from an old scoring. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, so just to kind of say what I think about this, I think the essay is a sort of weird failure. Um, like, you know, it's, it's about, so much of it's about Russell Brand, it just feels totally outmoded. Um, but uh, for what he just the kind of culture he describes is sort of call out culture i mean if you've spent a lot of time online you'll you'll recognize it but um i i do think that to a certain extent what he's he's uh he's talking about the picture he paints is sort of is is wildly overblown it's a bit like angela nagel in kill or normies obviously another kind of often sometimes who actually cites uh, uh, exiting vampire castle positively um you know it's a bit, a bit like her sort of saying but, oh you know it's a uh, it's it's the censorious left that have driven the rise of your right um you know it's just it's it's you know if, if someone like 
calls you out really aggressively, um, you know, it's unpleasant, right? You know, to be honest, the the best way of responding to it is probably just to usually be um, quite contrite. Um, But, but, and, and, you know, often, you know, sometimes you really should, I mean, sometimes you just are not aware that you are using language that's problematic and, you know, just stop using the problematic words, you know. Um, But, uh, uh, yeah, so... It, it, it sort of strays into that sort of weird um, d- 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 sort of naval territory where um, this idea of it, like, you know, the left are just are just shutting down um, certain sorts of discourse. And that's, 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 that's you know, driving um, uh, the right and so forth. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I think people like to cite the vampire cast, let's say, because they want a grand theoretical justification for why they shouldn't have to be told off. Um, yeah. but and really, that's why it's popular. It's popular because um, it plays up to sort of some of the uh, just to people sort of being a bit petty about um, people they don't like online. Um, the it's interesting to compare actually the Vampire Castle stuff because what's weird about the Vampire Castle essay is is that it's so what what Fisher does in it is almost like it's it's un it's uncharacteristically uncharitable. Um, I think. To, uh, or not, maybe maybe un- maybe uncharitable is not quite the right word here, but like it just it sort of seems to miss something really crucial about the phenomenon it's describing. Um, it, so, it, it, the and and I mean and the stuff about Russell Brand, it's the same. It's like he seems to just miss something about what he's describing. It just doesn't get get it quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so that feels very uncharacteristic but there are some earlier writings in the k-point collection included around the same point in the in, in the collection as a vampire castle essay where he's he, he, like early k-punk posts about the comment policy and things like this um so in one of them he writes let me just see if i can find it um yeah so this is new comments policy Please note, feminazis, cult studs, guilt mongers, passive consumer whingers, friends who occupy the moral high ground, misanthropes, uh, liberals, stoner pacifists, therapy pushers, um, you know, uh, I mean, he, he, he talks about the, the, the new comments policy about how he's going to delete things that aren't productive. Um, but basically, he that sort of... Um, uh, that, that, those sort of, that sort of, uh, of posts, I think, betray a sort of... Uh, uh, a certain um, uh, defensiveness about about being um, and sort of a, an, an antagonistic kind of defensiveness about being um, questioned from a certain sort of um, you know possibly censorious uh, uh, perspective, um, and that's informing the vampire castle. I say definitely. I mean, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to sort of uh, you know overly kind of diagnose what's, what, what went wrong in yeah. uh, in the vampire castle essay but uh you know it's it's got something to do it, it there are you can detect bits of it in in um some of the earliest writings um so yeah yeah well i can't i don't think you can over diagnose this because um <laughs> as you mentioned angela nagel in uh kill all normies basically blamed uh the blue-haired tumblr girls for yeah. killing mark fisher yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, of course, no, she did do that. Yes, in the in the uh, in the conclusion to it. Yes, and that yeah. is something you see online again in the discussion about the essay. But like you know, oh, the, the kind of woke left or whatever in scare quotes, obviously, um, the uh, sort of yeah, were responsible for like driving Mark Fisher to his death. But um, so 
Speaking of the, the kind of end of his uh, life and career, he was working on a book when he um, when he passed away called Acid Communism, and I want he um, the intro to Acid Communism is included in K Punk, and it sounds like it would be a hell of a book. Oh god, yeah, yeah. I know we, we really got we really missed out on something here because uh-huh. um, yeah, so. Um, it sounds like it would be absolutely amazing, but um, so acid communism was okay. Really bad summing up of it here. It was a attempt to kind of reclaim what was good about the activism of the sixties and seventies and bring it into the twenty first century and um, do away with um, a lot of the. Uh, a lot of the baggage that it has, and to, and to recontextualize it, because he diagnoses a kind of hippie phobia in the current mm. left, which I've got to admit I'm pretty guilty of. I do not like hippies, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I, I'm a punk; they're my natural enemy. But um, yeah, the, the standard narrative of like the '60s is uh, well-meaning college kids, mostly white, uh, did a lot of acid. Um, did some protests, Kent State, Students of Democratic Society, um, the Vietnam War ended kind of alongside this. There was also the Civil Rights Movement. Then all those um, well-meaning 60s kids ended up founding Apple computers, again, real jobs, and uh, they got subsumed back into capitalism or the spectacle or whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it. But um, yeah, Mark Fisher is... He, doesn't um, condemn them as much as um, modern culture seems to. So, what? what um, where do you think he was going with acid communism? Um, yeah. So, I think to understand acid communism, obviously, we've already talked about capitalist realism and um, you know the ontology stuff. You know, so the sort of I suppose the problem space we're in is we can't envision an alternative to capitalism. This in part is related to the fact we can't envision a better future. Um, the only possibility we have then is to kind of look back to a time when there could have been a better future, of course there wasn't, and then somehow recapture that spirit. This is crystallized in this idea of acid communism. So um, Fisher's un- the understanding of the 60s and 70s counterculture that Fisher gives in um, the introduction to acid communism is that basically um, the counterculture, far from just being about you know self-absorbed um, rich kids taking drugs and then ultimately deciding to yeah found Apple computers or whatever, um, the, uh, it was really about trying to um, organize a world um, better than capitalism, beyond capitalism, um, and Fisher's understanding of uh neoliberalism is that basically it came into um, existence in order to stop that from happening right so in the early pages of um the introduction you know fisher says uh he says this i think this is really um really uh, important instead of seeking to overcome capital we should focus on what capital must always obstruct, the collective capacity to produce, care and enjoy. We on the left have had it wrong for a while. 
It's not that we are anti-capitalist. It's that capitalism, with all its visored cops, its tear gas, and all the theological niceties of its economics, is set up to block the emergence of red plenty. Mm, uh, yeah. You know, the overcoming I love of that term, red plenty, by the way. Yeah, red plenty, you know, genuinely common wealth, yeah. The overcoming of capital has to be fundamentally based on the simple insight that far from being about wealth creation, capital necessarily or, and always blocks the production of common wealth, right? Mm. So um, I suppose this indicates at least capital, as a communism is doing at least two things. So it's it just this term for this sort of looking, I suppose, kind of, it's term for what was going on in um, the 60s and 70s um, of... Uh, uh, you know, it's sort of this, this counterculture that is anticipating a better world. It's also a way of seeing for us now, right? A way of seeing um, not just the 60s and the 70s, but also um, contemporary capitalism, right? Um, as And that, that can help us form new strategies, which are not just inspired by what you know, what actually happened in the 60s and 70s, what these radicals actually did, but also just the force of what they were doing, like the kind of logic of what they were doing. We can, we can, we can look back to that as well. Of course, we can also look back to, we can also look back to the logic of how neoliberalism was founded, um, as, as Fisher claims in, in relation to the counterculture and other experiments. Um, you know, he cites really, the, he says the founding event really of, of capitalist realism, he says, was um, the overthrow of Allende's government in Chile by um, the CIA slash General Pinochet. You know, in Chile, they were developing a kind of democratic socialism that was an alternative not only to capitalism, but also to Soviet um, authoritarianism. Um, and, of course, that had to go, right? Um, oh. If you're the United States, right? You can't let, you can't let people flourish, <laughs> you know, in a world, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a socialist economy. Yeah. And he is, um, in an earlier essay, uh, Not Failing Better But Fighting mm. to Win, uh, which is a really good one, by the way, is he's very um, critical of stuff like Occupy, um, horizontalism in what he terms neo-anarchism. Neo um, other people have called it folk politics um, and have identified it with neoliberalism as opposed to uh, actually really countering it. Um, so what, considering he doesn't want the, um, kind of Occupy style horizontalist approach to fighting to win, mm -hmm. and he's, um, he wants to pick up stuff from the sixties and seventies. What do you, what do you think his, um, you know, I'm not asking you to like mind read Mark Fisher here, but what do you think his approach uh, is likely to be what does what tactics does he want um well i mean leaving aside from the question of whether or not he's actually consistent between in that earlier essay with, with the acid communism stuff um i think one obvious sort of vehicle for acid communism if you don't want to just be a horizontalist kind of you know um uh, folk politics type organizer is you know something like corbyn's labor party right um mm -hmm. People, uh, the world transformed an event like events like this around like the, the Labour conference. You know, there have been events. Um, certainly, there was last year. I think the, the year before there might have been as well. Um, called Acid Corbynism, right? Which is inspired oh, yeah. by um, Fisher's Fisher's term. Which obviously we're getting the introduction now of this book, but people had some people had access to these materials already. 
Um, I think at least part of the introduction was published on Aquatus, and obviously he was using this term before so he was planning his book about it, so people already knew about his ideas about that. But Jeremy Gilbert has picked up on lots of these ideas. So one, 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 uh, you know, sort of vehicle for this, and part of, this is part, I think, of what makes uh, Fisher so timely right now in the UK is you know you can use these old, um, uh, you know, centre-left parties as a way of um, at least t- taking control of possibly taking control of the state to the extent that you could implement um, these sorts of uh, uh, changes. Of course, I don't think, I mean, I, again, I'm not going to mind Rich Fisher, but also, I don't think that the acid communism stuff implies that you shouldn't then, or I mean, his anti-Occupy stuff implies that you shouldn't then also be trying to do things just in your own personal life on the ground and stuff. It just needs to be guided more by, it needs to be, it needs to be bound up with a strategy, but also, you know, it's sort of verticalist. Right. Mm, Attempts yeah, to actually take control of these institutions. Yeah, he, he does speak in favour of um, having a not a old Stalinist style party with a big capital P, yeah. but uh, some sort of I know like confederation of all the different interests out there to, to just make sure we're all pointed in the same direction. Yeah, and I mean, also, tripping up each other. It's well, yeah, and that might also play into. Maybe if you think he, if he, he's trying to do something in the Vampire Castle essay, it's to you know to, to sort of to somehow lay the ground for something more like a sort of a positive kind of unified left consciousness. Again, I think the essay fails. That's an admirable goal, though, right? You know, trying to say, well, we are all trying to do, we are all aiming towards this broader goal, so we should squabble amongst, you know, we should infight less. I mean, of course, if you in the Vampire Castle essay, you know, what he is, is saying is the, the concerns, effectively saying, I don't think he necessarily meant to say this, but effectively what he's saying is the concerns of some communities are just not as important to these broader left goals as others, right? Oh, so that's, yeah, it's that's the kind of anti idpol thing you hear on, online yes, a lot. Exactly. So that, and that's really dangerous when you get into that sort of territory. Actually, I think the acid communism stuff. Um, because acid communism in you know, the counterculture it is more about the celebration of diverse identities and stuff. That that helps correct some of some of that stuff. From yeah, he does actually. He mentions there's two kind of forces that are holding back the left, and it's not you know blue haired Tumblr girls. <laughs> yes, it's um kind of it's it's kind of a, a class only leftism that um, wants to keep power and ultimately money to the white working class. Um, which has been kind of very um, the kind of white working class has been a kind of rallying cry for the the worst tendencies yeah. on the dirtbag aside left. From being, aside from effectively being an oxymoron, mm. right? Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, the, the white yeah. male working maybe, class. Yeah, maybe, maybe, well, maybe oxymorons are the right word, though, but like you know, the working classes are not just white. No, um, and they're not just men, and they're not yeah. just mi- uh, miners. Yeah, they don't just want to, Jeremy Corbyn to blow up things. Yeah. So and he also identifies um, the harsh Leninist superego, so tankies basically. The yeah. everything is fash kind of um, uh, yeah. formulation as being like the two forces. He do- he doesn't pick up on idpol as no, people are calling no. it nowadays. That's not a. Towards the end of his uh, life, he's not concerned. It doesn't seem to be, at least in this essay, that um, you know we're going to be too. Uh, caught up in people's pronouns to do a revolution he's yes. he's a bit beyond that by this point i think vampire castle was what like 
2015? 2013, Vampire Cast. 13, wow. But, like, I think, well, I, I, I actually, in, you know, again, Vampire Cast, I don't think he necessarily thinks we're so caught up in people's pronouns have a revolution. The implication, I think, is more criticizing other people for not using the right pronouns is going to be mm. more counterproductive or not. But again, I and actually, I just don't think that's a valid point you're making, right? Yeah, and also, it given, it's, it's a very suspicious point you're making in some, some respects. Um, mm. But again, I also have kind of, you know, faith that Mark Fisher is smarter than just, you know, than a lot of his the people who are really into Vampire Castle, let's say. But, um, and so probably didn't mean it like that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. but um, anyway, um, the uh, point being, so, um, the, yeah, so I think if you, if you look at that setting, you know, the two sort of things holding back the left, uh, uh, the sort of fixation on, the sort of blue laborism and, uh, and and kind of uh, you know what you could call like sort of just tanky sort of uh, tendency. Um, it makes sense then that his 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 hero would be Allende, right? Um, oh. but because if, if you think blue laborism is representing, in fact, I mean blue laborism is, is a sort of product of capitalist realism, right? You know we can't have a genuinely transformed society in any way. All we can do is make things slightly better for people who are going to be on the bottom of this society, or at least as we code them, we're always going to be on the bottom. Um, and uh, you know, versus what we really need is an authoritarian um, kind of you know worker state. Um, you know, what Fisher you know, clearly wants is some sort of democratic, anti-authoritarian um, socialist state, um, modelled somehow along the lines of Allende's uh, Chile. Um, so yeah. 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 So um, you, you could use maybe you could use Cor- maybe Corbynism could become something like that. Maybe that's the implication. Yeah, yeah I, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I'm constantly at the point of signing up to Momentum, and you know <laughs> they are they are actually out there on the streets as we speak, like standing up to Tommy Robinson. Yeah, and his ilk. So um, yeah, so yeah, I am I am hoping there is has been a renewed energy that's come out of Corbyn. And people like Navarra Media, people, even the much ben- uh, benighted podcasters of the world, you know, the, um, yeah, it, it's. I think the UK is a better place to be right now because we have that. It's, it's certainly better in the US, although the US is gone. <laughs> you, you can't design. You can design a worse country. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Um, yeah, I, we've got little glimmers of hope in Bernie Sanders, and I, I kind of like Alexandra Ocasio Cortez. She yeah. seems to be on the right track right now. If you look so at what's think... happening in their states, even when they've elected sort of moderately uh, center left governors, like in Wisconsin, I've been yeah, reading about how the like, state um... legislature somehow like taken away powers from the governor. So I mean, you know, yeah, you can't like... yeah. Um, yeah, that's that seems so bizarre to me. This is like. I mean, obviously, they can gerrymander over districts and things like this. Again, they they have they have um, the deep state doesn't even need to be so deep about it in America. <laughs> no, there's no need for conspiracy in America. They yeah. just they, yeah, it's um. So, yeah, I think um, it's a big book, K Punk. Oh, yes, eight eight hundred odd pages, and. Um, so it's not one you're going to get through in a weekend, but it is, I Good think, life. yeah, it's um, it's one to kind of dip into and dip out of. 
you know if you if you come across the fall and you're interested in what they have to say then go into k-punk if you if someone is thrown around vampire castle uh like it's a protected talisman against being called out online then <laughs> dip in then read fucking vampire castle and realize it's not actually all that all that amazing it's a, it's um, a brand yeah it's, it's literally just about this guy who kind of have all forgotten about <laughs> but um yeah um and yeah mark fisher has a legacy in repeater books uh most of his work, like Capitalist Realism, uh, came out on Zero Books, which he also founded. And uh, Zero Books, we could do a whole other uh, thing on them. They also <laughs> kill all normies. Yeah, and well, they um, got, they've taken over by someone else. Yeah, they've um, and yeah, that that's a whole other thing, and would yeah, that's deep into Vampire Castle territory at that point. <laughs> if I if I want to do a whole thing on Zero Books, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't need that. Yeah, all that static in my life. So um, we're going to uh, end the episode by some kind of acid death metal, I guess you'd call it. It's um, a band called Alkaloid, as in lysergic acid diethylamine is an alkaloid. And they're on Season of Mist, which is actually kind of dodgy label sometimes. But um, these guys are okay. They're kind of prog death metal so if you're into uh i guess opeth you're gonna probably be you're gonna be okay with these guys um their album uh liquid anatomy came out in may of this year and this is a song off that album called kernel panic uh, as in kernel is in a popcorn kernel uh, it's a computer science term of some kind i wasn't gonna do a whole thing i'm looking it up but um, it is a really interesting song for the amount of uh, space it covers in five minutes. So check that one out and do check um, K-Punk out. And um, go to Twitter and follow at Health Unto Death uh, because Tom here is a, he's one of the good ones and is a very, very perceptive essayist. His um, essay on uh, the poetry of drill is everything I wanted my um, episode on the poetry of drill to be that didn't quite can quite stick the land in. It is very very good. It's available and, um, for free from my Patreon, which you can also subscribe to. You can subscribe to a Patreon, um, and one day I'll have a Patreon too. Um, but and um, what else are you working on right now? Because you mentioned a, a series of stuff on memes. Yeah, I'm writing a bunch of essays on memes at the moment. I'm not going to reveal any. I have a grander plan for that, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to reveal it publicly. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I'm working. On, I'm working on some stuff on memes. Um, what else am I working on? Uh, I'm going to be writing a column about universities every month for Vice um, nice. next year. Um, yeah. You're going to cover of the objectively best uh, university in the country, uh, the University of East Anglia, I assume. Um, didn't yeah, have any plans to talk about to, how great it's. Uh, I mean, you got I everything: do my own, brutalist should... architecture, yeah. a lake. It has what, the best campus. It has the best oh, campus. It's definitely by far. Yeah. And yeah, the the greatest graduates of all. Okay, I see. But... <laughs> um, I might do my own, I might do my own university ranking. Maybe I'll go mad of power and start ranking everything. <laughs> yeah, do it. 
Yeah. That's, I advice should do it's like alternative university rag kids. That's a good idea. I think I'll do that. Yeah. We'll yeah. it anyway. It's good. Do it. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, and like I say guys, follow Tom on Twitter and surprise for his Patreon. Uh and listen to Alkaloid, because they're about to be played, and come back next week. We got a, a very a very prominent guest if you've been listening to podcasts over the last few years. He's going to come on and talk about uh, Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian, which I'm literally reading for the first time because I'm a complete pseudo-intellectual and I just completely ignore great canonical works of um, literature like Blood Meridian. And I've never read anything by Ernest Hemingway. So that's the, yeah. well, that's the quality <laughs> of education you get a, a shithole like UEA. <laughs> no, it makes you steer, steer clear of Hemingway. It's just... Dry, dull. Yeah. I've read Neuromancer eight times over my university go. career, so you know, <laughs> get what you pay for. Um, so yeah, here's Alkaloid with Colonel Panic.